0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Abayomi Azikwe and welcome back uh, to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine that's brought to you here on a weekly basis. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikwe. Today is Sunday, October 31st, 2021. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, once again to yet another edition of our program, this special edition of the Pan-African Journal. Later on, we'll be bringing you our Pan-African Newswire report. Uh, We'll have dispatches on the appeal by the United Nations Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, to the military leaders of the Republic of Sudan to end their undemocratic seizure of state power. The Ethiopian rebel group, the TPLF, fighting the central government is claiming to have taken the city of Desi, although the government has denied uh, this claim. The World Health Organization has reelected the Director general, Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, who ran uh, unopposed for the position. And the Afghan Union announced that it has arranged to purchase 110 million doses of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine for the continent. In the second hour, we look at the situation in South Africa leading up to the local governmental elections on November the 1st. Also, the G20 has ended its summit in Rome uh, with no definitive decisions on key economic issues impacting the international community. Finally, we review uh, some of the important questions in Africa and the world. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program, so stay tuned. Uh, We'll take a musical interlude, and we'll be back uh, with more of the Pan-African Journal for this week.
2: Na kosa kio, oh boy amobalina yo. Na emeke na panta kio sangoe, gaina kocha nanda sa yo. Gai nazaraka na moninga, na kiteko boy ayeli boso. Kosi mara na yo, ako tunangai bolingo yanga na Coloma ninie to sanga yeo na to sala Nakazi osangoi, o kota nanda konanga. Nikiamba moko na boso na zalakana moninga. Nakoka kute kopo ya kende na yo. Ako tunanga ibo ingo yanga na yo. Nakorobani nje. Ako evisanga maloba na Oh Marcelina, Naemi canako kocha kia Marcelina, Naemi canako sa kia, kongo don, oh ko kikoli bisangay Marcelina, Marcelina wo Marcelina wo oh Marcelina, kongana mo yo. Ma lembe, je dis que je suis Marcelina, bobo. Marcelina, bobo. Oh, Marcelina, Marcelina, M'appétit de Osanaki, Marcelina, as-hi Marcelina Vauvo, Marcelina Vauvo. mama pasti mingi ye, nadi na makasi na 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 yo na I'm a i Yo caca Papua me sena yo Erequim y meliñonso Ponas <muchas> de la cayo Yo con banca caíte Prende esto con la la cayo Oh con boyang caíte Yo sin el dominio Ponas de la cayo Yo me sena yo
1: Welcome back, and uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, uh, this worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Sunday, uh, October 31st, uh, 2021. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit, and that was the music of the TPOK Jazz Orchestra from the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, led uh, by none other than uh, Franco. And uh, that uh, was an album released in 1972. Right now we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment. Uh, These are some of the headlines uh, that appear in today's uh, Pan-African Newswire. The United Nations uh, Secretary General urged uh, Sudan's generals uh, earlier today to reverse their takeover of the country a day after tens of thousands of people took to the streets in the largest uh, pro-democracy protest since last week's coup. Antonio Guterres uh, said uh, the general should take heed of Saturday's protest. Uh, Time to go back to legitimate uh, constitutional arrangements, uh, he said in a tweet. Uh, He was referring uh, to a power-sharing deal that established uh, joint uh, military-civilian rule following the ouster of longtime President Omar al-Bashir and his Islamist-oriented government. Uh, This took place in April of 2019. The United Nations envoy for Sudan, uh, Volker Harphez, meanwhile said he met uh, earlier today with Dalla Hamdak, the deposed prime minister who remained under house arrest in the capital of Khartoum. Uh, We discussed options for mediation and the way forward uh, for uh, the Republic of Sudan. I will continue these efforts with other Sudanese stakeholders, he said. Uh, since last week, uh, the United Nations representatives have shuttled between the military and leaders of the pro-democracy movement. The military official said that other efforts are underway, also supported uh, by the United Nations, but conducted by a Sudanese committee uh, that began separate meetings last week with Hamdok and coup leader uh, General Abdel Fattah Bahan. The official uh, speaking on conditions of anonymity as he wasn't authorized to release. The information uh, said that Hamdok is still the main candidate for heading a cabinet that will report uh, to the leading general. But should he not accept, uh, other Sudanese figures could. Uh, it remains unclear uh, what mandate such a government would have. For Han had repeatedly said in the weeks prior to the takeover that the military will hand over power only to an elected government. Before uh, the coup, uh, Sudan was ruled by a transitional government. that included a joint military-civilian-sovereign council and a cabinet headed by Hamdok that ran the day-to-day affairs. The officials said in these negotiations, the prime minister has insisted on the release of all government officials and political leaders arrested since the coup before engaging in meaningful talks uh, to form a new government. Hamdok also demanded the return to the pre-coup constitutional order uh, that would set a deadline by which the complete leadership of the country uh, would be handed over uh, to civilians. Burhan uh, has given an initial approval to release the majority of the detained officials, but said a few must remain in custody for allegedly playing a role in a coup, a Officials official said. He added that another issue is semantic. The military does not consider their takeover as a coup arguing that they had already been part of the ruling government. Uh, Burhan said he would install a new technocratic government soon with the aim of holding elections in July of 2023. Uh, But the pro-democracy movement also fears the military has no intention of easing its grip and will appoint politicians it can't control. Any prime minister besides Hamdok would also likely face rejection by the pro-democracy protesters. Eric Reeves, a Sudan expert at Smith College, said the standoff between the military and the protest leaders is likely to be prolonged, given that pro-democracy protesters see the takeover as a naked power grab. Neither side, civilian and military, has an easy way to climb back or down from the crisis, he said. He called on the United States and the European Union to pressure Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and Egypt, the main backers of these Sudanese generals uh, did not offer assistance to a military-led government, especially to shore up Sudan's already battered economy. Uh, Burhan has claimed that the takeover was necessary to prevent a civil war, citing uh, what he said were growing divisions among political groups. However, the takeover came less than a month before he was to have handed some power to a civilian. The Sudanese Professional Association, uh, which was in the forefront of the uprising against al-Burhan and now leads the anti-coup protest, insists on the removal of Burhan-led military council and holding those behind the takeover accountable. We need a full civilian government after our two-year experience with the generals, uh, said Mohammed Youssef al-Mustafa, a spokesman uh, for the association. Many businesses and shops, meanwhile, remain closed in Khartoum and its twin city of Abdurman in response to calls from the protest movement for strikes and civil disobedience. Authorities have also reopened many roads and bridges linking Khartoum's neighborhoods on the sides of the Nile River. Other remained blocked uh, by makeshift barricades set up by protesters overnight. The demonstrations on yesterday were the biggest so far since the coup. Security forces shot dead three protesters in Obdaman during the demonstrations, uh, bringing the tally to at least 12 dead and over 280 wounded since Monday, according to the Sudan Doctors' Committee. The Sudanese police said its forces did not use live ammunition against protesters on Saturday. The, the United Nations chief expressed concern about violence against protesters on Saturday calling for perpetuators uh, and perpetrators uh, to be held accountable. And uh, we'll have more on the uh, situation in Sudan later on uh, in this broadcast of the Pan African Journal. In other news, uh, the Tigray forces uh, said yesterday that they have taken uh, control of a key city on the route to Ethiopia's capital of Addis Ababa. Nonetheless, the government uh, has denied uh, this claim and the United States urged the Tigray fighters uh, to halt their advances as the year-long war intensifies. Tigray forces spokesman uh, Getachew Reda told uh, the international press that the fighters took the strategic city of Desi on Saturday afternoon. He also asserted they already had uh, commanding positions on the outskirts of the nearby city of Kombolcha and had its airport in their sights. Ethiopian government spokesman, Legasi Tulu rejected that as fabricated propaganda and told uh, the international media that Desi and its surroundings were under the control of the military. Phone calls to residents of Desi didn't go through, complicating efforts to verify both sides' claims. Taking control of the crossroads city of Desi and Kumbucha would put the Tigray forces in positions uh, to move south along a major highway uh, towards the capital of Addis Ababa. Getachew uh, said it's a matter of days before the fighters will be able to physically link up with another armed group, the Oromo Liberation Army, uh, with which it struck an alliance uh, earlier this year. The Tigray forces say uh, they are pressuring Ethiopia's government to lift a month-long blockade on their region of around 6 million people. Thousands of people have been killed since the war began in November of 2020 after a political falling out between the Tigray forces who long dominated the the national government in Ethiopia. And uh, this was uh, the hostility uh, that had been expressed towards the current government of Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. The Tigray fighters have taken the war into Ethiopia's neighboring Amhara and Afar regions, uh, moving south through Amhara, towards the capital, since recapturing much of their region in June. We don't want to be in charge. We don't want our Abid to take an entire nation down with him either, uh, Gershaw said. The prime minister has urged all capable citizens to war. The United States statement on Saturday called on the Tigray forces to halt their advances in and around Dese and Kumbosha, withdraw from Amhara and Afar, and not use artillery against cities. The U.S. urged both sides to begin ceasefire negotiations, saying there's no military solution to this conflict, which is said has cost countless lives. It also said it continued to be alarmed by reports of the deliberate denial of humanitarian assistance in Tigray, where the United Nations has reported a de facto humanitarian blockade. You're listening to uh, the Pan-African news segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. The World Health Organization uh, said on Friday that its Director General, Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, is running unopposed uh, for a second five-year term. Tedros, the first African to head the UN Health Agency, has overseen his complex response to the COVID-19 pandemic, which has overshadowed uh, his tenure. Trained in biology and infectious disease with a doctorate in community health, He is also the first WHO chief who is not a medical doctor. The UN Health Agency uh, made the announcement after the deadline for candidacies for the next term expired last month, and Tedros' name was proposed by 28 countries, more than half of them European, and three were African, Botswana, Kenya, and Rwanda. The formal selection of the next director general takes place at the WHO uh, next assembly in May. A former health and foreign minister from Ethiopia, Tedros, who goes by his first name, received a strong endorsement when France and Germany announced their support for him shortly after the nomination period closed. Tedros has repeatedly aired concern about the deadly Tigray conflict in Ethiopia, and the Ethiopian government shunned his candidacy over his criticism and positions in the former Tigray-dominated national government. He has accused him of supporting the rival great forces. Tedros has been a leading voice urging wealthy countries with large COVID-19 vaccine stockpiles and the big pharmaceutical companies that make them to do more to improve access to the jobs in the developing world. A call that has largely gone unheeded. He has also called for a moratorium on booster shots so that more doses could be made available quicker to poorer countries which has also mostly fallen on deaf ears. World Health Organization says that more than 60 countries are now administering about 1 million booster shots of COVID-19 vaccines each day, about three times the number of the first time vaccine doses being administered daily in lower income countries. In recent weeks, the World Health Organization has faced mounting pressure over revelations in September from two independent experts who found that 21 World Health Organization workers were accused of sexually abusing people during the agency's response to an Ebola outbreak in the Congo between 2018 and 2020 out of a total of 83 alleged perpetrators connected uh, to the mission the cold blue campaign uh, which campaigns to end sexual exploitation and abuse by the United Nations peacekeepers and other staffers called uh, that the largest finding ever of sexual abuse in a single UN initiative in a single country or time period. On Thursday, the European Union Executive Commission said it temporarily suspended payments that fund the WHO humanitarian operations in Congo in the wake of the revelations, a move that could affect millions of euros used for programs like emergency response, polio eradication, and pandemic response in the African country. The reports, reported facts are shocking. The commission statement said our thoughts are with the victims and survivors of these misdeeds, and the priority is to ensure that they are fully supported. And finally, uh, participants attend that, uh, finally, the African Union uh, intends to buy up to 110 million doses of COVID-19 vaccines for Moderna Incorporated, an arrangement brokered in part by the White House, which will defer delivery of some doses intended for the U.S. to facilitate the deal. Uh, The Union doses of Moderna vaccines will be delivered over the coming months, uh, with 15 million arriving before the end of 2021, 35 million in the first quarter of 2022, and up to 60 million in the second quarter, and that's according uh, to the international press, This is important as it allows us to increase the number of vaccines available immediately. African-Union novel coronavirus envoy Strive Musiwa said in an email, uh, we urge other vaccine-producing countries to follow the lead of the U.S. government and give us similar access to buy this and other vaccines, the AU envoy said. Musiwa said the Moderna purchase represented the first time the 55-member AU has secured vaccines that were not fully produced in Africa. The new shipments of COVID-19 vaccines are well below what Africa needs to vaccinate 1.3 billion people who have had far less access to life-saving vaccines in more prosperous parts of the world. Getting access uh, to Moderna vaccines adds diversity to the AU's vaccine supply with different storage requirements. The Biden administration is deferring delivery of 33 million doses it had bought from Moderna to give the AU its spot in line to make a purchase, according to Natalie Quillian, uh, the White House Deputy Coordinator for COVID-19 Response. We are grateful uh, to have helped negotiate this encouraging step forward between Moderna and the African Union that will significantly expand access to vaccines on the continent, In the near term, uh, Quillian said, the United States, which has seen more than 700,000 people die from COVID-19, is flush with vaccines. The delayed Moderna deliveries will not have an impact on efforts to provide booster shots to already inoculated Americans, Quillian said. Moderna said that it was working to make it possible to fill doses of its COVID-19 vaccine in Africa by 2023 and has to build a manufacturing plant on the continent. This is the first step in our long-term partnership with the African Union. Moderna Chief Executive Stephanie Bansail said in a statement referring to a memorandum of understanding to make up uh, to 110 million doses of Moderna vaccines for the African Union. In September, the AU accused COVID-19 vaccine manufacturers of denying African countries a fair chance to buy vaccines and urged manufacturing countries, in particular India, to lift export restrictions on vaccines and uh, their uh, components. With that, we're going to conclude the uh, Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of our program. We want to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998, and since then, It has published thousands upon thousands of articles and dispatches in various newspapers, uh, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to uh, the Pan-African Newswire, so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day. All you need to do is go to uh, the Pan-African Newswire, and that's at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to have access to today's uh, Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast, for Sunday, October 31st, uh, 2021, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal, that's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. The programs can be shared with other potential listeners via email, blogs and websites, and social media networks. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for this week. Welcome back and uh that was the voice of candy Staten. the tune in title sweet feeling you're listening to uh, the pan-african journal special worldwide radio broadcast uh, for sunday october 31st uh, 2021 and as we mentioned earlier in the pan-african newswire segment we have been following the situation in the republic of sudan here's a report on events uh, from yesterday, uh, where there were mass demonstrations against the military coup uh, that was carried out on October the 25th, just this last past Monday. Let's listen in.
3: On Saturday, dozens of people took to the streets in cities across the country. Sudanese are demanding the restoration of a civilian-led government after a military takeover on Monday. Protesters carried Sudanese flags and chanted against the military leadership. They are also demanding the release of senior political figures from detention. Nabo Mohideen has the latest from Khartoum. Uh,
4: the protest continues in the Sudanese capital and other states uh, all around the country. Uh, right now, there is a reported riot in Omdurman, Bahri and Khartoum. The bridges are still blocked by the military and some security forces. And also the access to Khartoum is blocked by the military by heavy vehicles also. Uh, there is reported casualties. Over uh, 17 protesters reported uh, they were fired by life ammunition and tear gas. And Sudanese Doctors Committee confirmed the killing of two protesters. Uh, there is violence also in Tutsi Island, which is close to the residential palace. The protesters were dispersed by steel, gas and life ammunition, too. There is heavy deployment of military and security forces all around the country, especially around the military headquarters. Uh, the internet and phone call signals are still in a blackout. Observers think the protests will likely continue because of the violence and because of the killings of uh, the protesters. We will, will likely witness negotiations between the civilians and military generals because of the international pressure on the generals, we will likely see uh, a new scene, just like 2019, uh, talks between the generals and civilians to share the power again, but with new conditions. And in this time, uh, the pressure on the street is bigger, because after the military take over, the protesters are refusing any compromisement. And they, they don't want the political parties to be involved again in the scene or the military generals. So we'll probably see um, some calls calling for the prime minister Abdullah Hamdok to be appointed again as a prime minister and to appoint a technocratic uh, government uh, away from the political parties and away from the, the rebel groups that signed the peace agreement.
3: Well, there is a heavy deployment of security forces in the capital Khartoum. The United Nations and the United States have urged Sudan's top military generals to show restraint and avoid violent confrontations. The demonstrations are likely to increase pressure on the military generals who already face mounting condemnation from Western countries and the African Union. Well, joining me now from Cairo is Dr. Nabil Negum el din He is an independent researcher and author of International Politics, uh, Doctor, I'll begin by asking you, what are your thoughts about Saturday's widespread protests in Sudan and what they signify?
5: Uh, uh, in fact, what's going on in the capital Khartoum this morning and uh, the other uh, almost 25 uh, cities of uh, Sudanese states is telling us one thing, the people of Sudan are not going to Uh, Accept a military regime in Khartoum again Uh, In addition to that There is uh, almost uh, marches all over the world In 50 uh, international states Starting from uh, Sydney to uh, Washington Uh, Sudanese people inside uh, Sudan and outside Are fed up of uh, military coups Uh, I'd like to let you know that Uh, What uh, Mr. Burhan has uh, uh, has, uh, made last Monday was totally a jump in the dark And uh, he has got no uh, support whatsoever from the international uh, power centers And uh, Sudan now in a very quite sensitive moment
3: and uh, Doctor, how worried then should the countries bordering Sudan be uh, with regards to developments in that country then?
5: What's going on in, in Sudan at large and in Khartoum has got its uh, 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 repercussions uh, uh, all over the, 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 the borders, west, north, and east, because Uh, Sudan is a uh, multi-racial state And you find Sudanese people in the West Has got some uh, 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 Over the borders links with Chad And you've got uh, some Sudanese people uh, uh, In the East Have got some uh, 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 Links with the western of Ethiopia uh, In fact What's going on in Sudan Is going to affect The uh, neighboring countries Uh, Cairo for example Is always Uh, 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 caring for what's going on in Sudan, and it is considered to be uh, a very crucial part of the Egyptian national security.
3: I suppose the question remains, Doctor, then what should the military authorities in Sudan do to then prevent uh, escalations of tensions in the country?
5: Uh, The military uh, 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 establishment has got a clear warning from Washington From uh, the United Nations, from Lebanon, Paris You are under our uh, supervision We are watching your uh, uh, actions against the peaceful marches in Sudan And I don't think the military uh, establishment in Sudan or in Khartoum will ignore such clear uh, uh, warnings and on the other hand they have to go back to that agreement which has been signed 2019 between the civil uh, camp and the the military camp the the, the transitional period in Khartoum was supposed to hand over power after uh, two years to a civilian government and that transitional period which is consisted of Military uh, and and civilian figures Was supposed to establish and pave the way To democracy in Sudan So the military uh, 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 figures And specifically Mr. Burhan Has got to reconsider his uh, stance And he has got to realize that marches in the streets of Sudan All over 50 or 25 cities Will tell him one thing no going back.
3: All right, Doctor, thank you very much for speaking to us on Africa Live. Dr. Nabil
6: Negum-El-Din, uh, independent researcher, joining us live there from Cairo.
1: Welcome back. And uh, that was a report on uh, developments in the Republic of Sudan, where uh, the individuals who made up the transitional Military council uh which overthrew uh the government of uh omar al bashir in uh, twenty nineteen uh, formed an alliance uh with uh, elements around the forces of freedom and change as well as other um political organizations and technocratic uh professional groups uh in uh sudan and of course um in doing this um the sovereignty council was established and uh that of course was overthrown uh, just this last past monday so uh yes uh we have been following uh the situation in uh the republic of sudan and uh if you want to follow what we we've been following uh you can of course uh go uh, to the pan-african newswire and uh, read uh, articles uh, related uh, to uh, the current situation in the republic of sudan a very very important country uh, as it relates uh, to the situation uh, involving uh, the people of uh, that uh, very, very important uh, nation, historic nation, and also important uh, in regard to the temporary history of uh, Africa as well. And, of course, uh, we have been following the situation there, and we will continue uh, to follow uh, the situation in uh, the Republic of Sudan And uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, uh, the worldwide radio broadcast. And uh, in the Republic of South Africa, uh, local government elections uh, will be taking place starting tomorrow, November the 1st. And uh, we want to do a a roundup of uh, some of the developments surrounding uh, the local government elections in the Republic of South Africa. They will serve as a barometer of the uh, political mood inside the country. Uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa, uh, the ANC president, spoke uh, earlier today over the South African Broadcasting Corporation to encourage people to participate in the electoral process. Let's listen in.
0: Uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa has urged all registered voters to exercise their right to vote in the local government elections tomorrow. In a recorded message to the nation, the president says results of the elections can bring change to municipalities in the country.
7: Fellow South Africans, tomorrow, on Monday, the 1st of November, we will all go to the polls to elect our local government representatives. I call on each and every South African who is registered to vote to go out tomorrow and vote for the candidate and the party of your choice. Your vote counts every single vote counts with your vote you are building a better South Africa a South Africa with strong well-run and effective municipalities that can improve the lives of every citizen local government elections are about the issues that matter most to all of us housing electricity water sanitation and decent roads we all want to get better services we all want to have decent sustainable work we all want to see our businesses grow and for our communities to thrive this can only happen if local government is strong with your vote You are exercising your constitutional responsibility as a citizen to build our democracy. Remember to visit the voting station in the ward where you are registered and to take your ID with you. Voting is open from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. You can also make a difference by visiting one of the hundreds of COVID-19 vaccination stations that will be in operation at voting stations around the country. So I ask you to go out and vote tomorrow and let's build South Africa together. I thank you.
1: Welcome back. And that was um, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa. Uh, Speaking earlier today over the South African Broadcasting Corporation, encouraging uh, South Africans to vote uh, in tomorrow's local government elections, they will be choosing mayors and counselors primarily uh, for the various uh, municipalities uh, within the provinces of the Republic of South Africa. In regard to the security situation inside the country, there was a briefing earlier today uh, by the South African Minister of Police, Beke Sile, and uh, that was also covered by the SABC. Let's listen in.
8: The uh, police minister, Beke Sile, has been in KZN. He's also been in Bumalanga. He's obviously been monitoring the situation on the ground following the SAPS having identified several hotspots. Uh, in the area, uh, we understand that the minister is a briefing journalists in KZN. Our reporter Melondiha Khadebe, is also on the ground. There, we'll be taking you there live um, as he is uh, expected to be briefing a journalist and, uh, and the media. In fact, let's see if we if we can go there now.
9: That like, uh, is, is working. Uh, the only thing that the police are doing now are talking to the manager uh, to identify the station. The one that we started with is well identified, and everything you uh, can see that is the station. I'm told this is the station should be identified, and all that. Uh, the provincial commissioner is deploying the police much early here tomorrow, uh, so that we see that all stations uh, are getting uh, opened uh, on time uh they here continued that they went house to house there are people that have voted house to house unlike where we came from and though there will be people that would have uh, registered for for special votes could not but fortunately uh, even if you are you registered for special vote you're allowed to vote on the open open date we hope those people will Uh, find their their, their time and opportunity to vote. We are also emphasizing the point uh, to say uh, police will have to take care of those that they want to vote. Uh, People that don't want to vote they have a right to do so. Uh, Though the preference is that they all vote they have a right to do so. But the right they don't have is to interfere with the right of those people that want to to vote. Hence there will be those roving uh, units and the units after uh, looking after the stations per se, we believe that uh, the situation will be manageable. Um, is this
10: um, no error added to one of your con- um, errors that you will be keeping a close watch on from tomorrow?
9: Indeed, for the fact that uh, it has been uh, promoted to be high-risk, uh, age of them, as uh, they are aging, the cave 119 19 this morning, that will be plus uh, eight. And plus one at uh, uh, Umzindo, that uh, Mystic Farm, so which means it would be in, in 19 plus uh, plus uh, nine, but as he said in the morning that uh, th- this is a running is a running target. This station, you might find that tomorrow morning we have uh, extra uh, that would be given. So, but. We, fortunately, we have enough resources, especially when it comes to a personnel. We have enough resources to put up our levels on those stations once they are identified as a high risk. So there
11: will be a
0: total
10: of 128 high risk police stations. Thank you. I have been looking at the office in I both I of so, how in that school so they
9: have to worry about 8 But my students don't like this they do This Ganga goody business on it. She saracole. manje, Amanje, Ama Amazinga, or Kushulu, and Okpe was a Kupugil. Zonkers Nova six Nasinia Gortua, a gun number Amapoisa, Ezologi Hamizunga, the Tintalapa, a wonk at such a Abu Hara ten forty seven Amapoisa, as of a sevenzana genglayo guti abasebenzi bawo zboa o abafu maglen daa o baay saabu guti. en waguuti se kuboti oo ngazara no maayin dunia bannaabo baafu melen ama poisoot bazo landa baanye abasura <laughs> waziyi daa o bazo saben zalla abasura la baabahamba se bazo waziyi daa. loogzo si zuguuti bangabi noqtaba anu parati en waguuti ama poisaga akona azo ba tega ablu se gaccha I manje a manager of the 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 manager if oh, <laughs> you so, have a new key, you can't get a new key. You can't get a new So, if you have a new key, you can't get a new have a new key, you can't get a So, Uh, Minister, what can be a way to encourage South Africans to exercise their um, right to vote tomorrow and also, um, as you've said, that police will be able to
10: ensure their safety, those who want to vote? (coughs)
9: Well, I I think we have tried our maximum best as the police. Uh, We have two provinces really uh, now uh, that are even out of those four, as we have said, Western Cape, KZN, uh, Gauteng and Eastern Cape. KZN seems to be taking uh, the, the, the bunch of flowers if it is so, of dealing with this problem. Now, as we're sitting we had 119 in the morning, uh, we 128, uh, as we speak. I was speaking to Gauteng now, at least there are 23 uh, hotspots uh, in Gauteng, though themselves they are, they, they, they are fluctu- fluctuating. We are calling on South Africans, that the members of the South African Police Service working together with the IEC, supporting the IEC, so that South Africans Contractors and exercise the right that many South Africans they work so hard, others they died for, so it 's a right that you can't just surrender uh, because there are many political parties to vote for. The call we are making is that you go and vote. Uh, the president uh, has made that call. we are emphasizing that point made by the president to say it's no use uh, to kick out the right and the privilege that was so much fought for by the people of South Africa, especially those that they lost their lives, especially those that they did not see this era. Please don't undermine and don't throw those people away. The call, you go. Almost in all 23,000 plus stations, South African police service will be there to protect the voters. (coughs) Above water, above water, above water. I am a person Eh a person a person who is 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 E Teshibez Uhur nineteen is as Vutayu execution, Zuhurrat twenty eight cool, eh, si Bazo Baba Baba so Station, is And the eh, Haute, you twenty three wayo now nah, Sabanguti, uh eh, Abakonaba Seven Zagat, the <laughs> aqona ukuyophoxa abantu ukuthi eh bavote abantu banamalungelo amabili noma siphakathuza izinto asebenziselo okuqalelo obvote nelesibili longavote kuseyilungelo labo kodwa bangeloni ilungelo labo ukuthi bavimbe abafuna ukuyovota izinto ke lezi soyiqaphela kakhulu eh ingakho soba khona imqoqo ne-specoleations sikekelela ukuthi eh abafuna ukuvota bayithatha lelo thu the and which Minister, will you say that uh, the, the, the chaos that happened uh, over the weekend is a barometer for what? Uh,
12: SAPS will expect tomorrow.
8: Let's the also be specific. What chaos are you referring to?
12: The closing of stations with padlocks that does not belong to IEC or the owners of the building, to the burning of tires, to the for or road to the uh, may, Maybe
9: that helps us that it happened in these uh, first two days. Uh, for instance, all the polling stations here are open now. Uh, they were they were padlocked by the lo- the padlocks that are not for the schools and all that. That's one. Uh, two, it has helped us uh, to push up the the level of uh, of polling stations from medium to 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 high. Uh, so it, I, I think happening the way it happened, uh, it helped all of us to be aware and work accordingly. And remember uh, though people they've registered to vote a special vote, they still have a, a, an opportunity uh, to go. Just, just imagine if they, this thing didn't happen and then it happened on the main day. So it has uh, helped us. Uh, m- maybe another thing is that where we come from Mumsindu, we ended up having a big, a big, I nearly said family meeting, a community meeting uh, where we make the point similar to this to say those that don't want to vote they should not interfere we encourage them to go to vote but they should not interfere fortunately we saw some leaders of the community besides we met in duna there and we met in duna in tiswa uh, but we met a young man there uh, and we spoke with them all and seems to be okay with those that they want to go and vote. I, I think this episode of yesterday and today has made us to prepare better for tomorrow.
12: Is the Minister going to be meeting with uh, the local leadership in this area in relation to encourage their people to vote tomorrow? Uh, secondly, is there any case uh, open against those who had locked the voting
9: station? Well, I don't know if there are any cases opened at that. Uh, The the IEC will have to take that uh, on on board, but the the leadership uh, here, uh, I I, I don't think they wanted to meet the premier because it's not necessarily election matters or crime matters. It's an issue of uh, the traditional leadership of which they wanted to to meet premier. I hope after this will be met. Ours is to support and to protect those that they want to, to vote. But discussions and the resolutions of the matter will continue after this, led by the Premier and the MEC of Bokia. Okay. I know police. I know
13: that. I
9: uh, the, 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 the investigations uh, uh, are continuing, it's, uh, it's a case that, for some reason, has become very high profile and the police must be very neat in dealing with it, uh, but my last report is that we are on cause of dealing with that case.
14: Uh, one question, Mr. Samakwana from Imechua. Can you just give us a brief answer in of what you learned in your visit? And in the-
9: well, what I learned at is generally what is generic uh, in many other in many other in many other wards where people have a problem with the uh, with the uh, question of the selected or elected or appointed uh, candidates. Uh, that's I'm saying it's generic because uh, though it's bigger portion with the ANC uh, candidates. It does have problems with other candidates. For instance, in Ward 39, uh, in the hostel in Gomashi, uh, we are having a similar problem. I think the candidate is, is, is already staying out of the, of the ward. Uh, it's, a, it's an issue that while we deal with it in stopping the crime, in protecting the lives, in arresting the people that commit crimes, political parties will have to really work hard to solve those things. I'm sure uh, it's a good experience for them to say, work much better, start from now, to prepare for the next election, so that we we don't have this, unfortunately, people that end up running around on these matters are the police, we're supposed to be chasing criminals and dealing with those things, and then we have to come, things that should have been resolved by the political parties.
15: Thank you so much, uh, Minister. Thank you, General. Thank you, Amy. Colleagues, I will communicate with you
8: as to when minister, where will he be casting his vote tomorrow. Oh, there you have it, it's a minister of police there.
1: Welcome back, and uh, that was an update on the developments uh, surrounding uh, the upcoming local governmental elections in the Republic of South Africa scheduled to be in uh, tomorrow. And we'll take a break. We'll be back uh, with more of the Pan-African Journal for this week.
16: Welcome back, and um, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African
1: Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast. And that was Detroit's own Anita Baker, and watch her step. And uh, right now we want to tune in uh, to uh, developments surrounding the G20 summit uh, that is taking place uh, and just ended uh, in Rome, Italy. And uh, here's a report from... uh, Sophie McQuena of the South African Broadcasting Corporation.
8: The G20 summit has wrapped up in Italy. President Cyril Ramaphosa did not attend the meeting and was represented by International Relations Minister Naledi Pandor. The 20 developing and developed nations focused on climate change, COVID-19, and rebuilding the global economy. For more on the meeting and the upcoming COP26 summit in Glasgow, Scotland. We are now joined by our international editor, Sophie Mugwena. Sophie, thank you so much for your time. Now, of course we knew that uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa was not going to attend this meeting because of the elections, but perhaps talk to us about what are the outcomes of the G20 summit.
17: Well, as you have pointed out, Unat, yes, indeed, the big story is the local government elections in South Africa, but there are other big stories happening around the world. The stories that also affect South Africa. The G20 summit, you know, South Africa is the only African country who is a member of the G20 uh, uh, leaders or the G20 group. And therefore, unfortunately, this time around, the president couldn't go to the G20 meeting. But uh, we have Dr. Naledi Pando, the international relations minister, who is representing South Africa in that summit that ends today. Of course, uh, there were highlights of the summit. The focus mainly was around the climate change. You know that on Monday COP26 is starting. And therefore, world leaders making a commitment that they will ensure that uh, there are deliverables in terms of uh, fighting carbon emission. But uh, other developing countries will have a different view on that matter. They also discuss the issue of the global economy, particularly after the COVID-19 uh, pandemic that has affected the global economy. And you cannot build better if you don't include everyone and therefore leaders agreeing that they will have to help uh, developing nations and also agreeing to uh, introducing a corporate tax something that uh, perhaps uh, big business and multinational companies will have reservations in terms of how it is going to affect them and also the important issue coming from the G20 summit is that again The G20 member countries have agreed to ensure that uh, they share their vaccine doses to help poorer countries and also developing nations.
8: You know, Sophie, there's always uh, commitments that are made in these summits. You know, how do you ensure that implementation of these, you know, becomes outcomes, and, and particularly when it comes to leadership?
17: Well, of course, as the Director General of the World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros, has spoken many times about this issue. Yes, you have these pledges and commitments, but delivery, dololo. I mean, we are here talking about uh, COP 26. We'll end up having COP uh, uh, 100 if uh, we are not <laughs> doing anything to fight climate change because it has got a huge impact on uh, people around the world. You saw the East Africa where there is drought, how people are losing their livelihoods. We know that there are floods all over the world. You look at what's happening in Europe and uh, in the United States of America. Therefore, the issue of climate change is quite important. And I think leaders, as they have agreed at the G20 summit, they must go to COP26 and give tangible deadlines and timeframes.
8: You know, Sophie, as you rightfully say, all eyes are now on COP26, of course, starting on Monday. Talk to me about the countries. Are they finding one another on the carbon emissions timeframes particularly?
17: You know, it is always a big problem. Developed countries are saying, yes, they are committed to doing what they are supposed to do, but unfortunately at times they want to include some of the countries that are part of the developing nations, for example South Africa. You know that South Africa is one of the countries that is industrialized on the continent and people tend to uh, put South Africa as part of these G7, the most industrialized countries, and they want South Africa to make commitments that the country cannot handle. And also Africa saying, yes, let's deal with this issue of carbon emission, but let's do it in a just, fair manner. You cannot wake up tomorrow and say, away with coal, when South Africans are still depending so much on coal, particularly when you look at electricity supply and ordinary people in the countryside. And therefore, it has to be an
8: agreement that is just and fair. Sophie McGuena, thank you so much for that update and that analysis. That's our international editor, Sophie McGuena. Of course, talking about the G20 summit has wrapped up in Italy. Also, the COP26 summit in Glasgow that's happening on Monday. Of course, all eyes will be on that one.
1: Welcome back. And uh, that was a report on the uh, G20 summit that just ended uh, earlier today. Uh, A lot of discussion on the uh, disruptions of uh, supply chains, also the crisis of uh, climate change, the uh, pandemic's impact on uh, the world economy uh, from various uh, perspectives. And uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, the worldwide uh, radio broadcaster special edition of our program. And uh, we'll take a break and we'll be back uh, with more news of the world and news from the African continent. Oh, mm-hmm. my Welcome back and uh the voice of Patty Drew working on a groovy thing. And uh we're, right now we want to uh look at uh, some of the world news uh headlines and stories uh, from Africa as well as the international community here at the Pan African Journal, this special worldwide radio broadcast. And uh my name is Abayomi Azikawe and uh I am your host uh, here at the Pan-African Journal Special Worldwide Radio Broadcast. We're broadcasting live uh, from our studios in downtown Detroit. Uh, today is October 31st, Sunday, 2021. And if you'd like to have access to our program, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. And uh, you can also share these programs uh, with other listeners uh, via email by copy and pasting the links on blogs and websites, as well as sharing the links on uh, social media networks as well. And um, not only do you have access to today's program, but well over 1,000 other archived editions of the Pan-African Journal. Okay, we'll move on. And uh, we'll hear about uh, more developments uh, taking place around the world.
18: Welcome to the world today. I'm Richard and Ty, Nairobi. Here's what's ahead. Calls for restraint in Sudan amid protests against the military takeover. Climate talks dominate day two of the G20 summit, and all eyes on Glasgow, which is hosting the UN's climate change conference. Once again, welcome to the world today. Let's begin in Sudan where the country have denied using live ammunition during Saturday's mass protest. A doctor's union said security forces shot dead three people during protests that took place almost a week after the military seized control. Tens of thousands took to the streets in various cities across Sudan, including in the capital Khartoum in the so-called March of Millions. Pro-democracy groups called for protests to demand the reinstating of the transitional government and the release of senior political figures from detention. Musa Mushin Ibrahim has more from Khartoum.
16: There was the, the, the day that everyone was waiting for, all thousands of people, 100,000 of people, they went to the street from many different parts in Khartoum, from the Umdurman, Bahri, and Khartoum. And they, there was, it was a really enormous people, they went outside, there was the protest. And unfortunately, there was the three killed you know, in Omdurman and 100 injured. And there was the protest, too, from demonstrating from around the state, from five state in Sudan. They also, they're asking for democracy and supporting the Vice President, Abdullah Hamadouk, to get back. And still, the Abdullah Hamadouk is sticking his condition. The strict condition is like um, to release all the, the people in the presence and the government uh, should be handled by him and the army should not be put on anything about the politics and he wants to choose the, the government minister by himself so the life is very normal but they still cut the electricity there and the and the internet and and they cut the cell phone and the text message and you cannot go out from the district you just stay in your neighborhood even the ambulance cannot cross the bridge or go to the hospital and the people in sudan still state of and everything is locked down the civil of and there is no any press conference there is no any declaration from the general commander abraham until right now
18: the sixteenth group of of twenty leaders summit the g20 opened on saturday the two-day summit held both online and offline under the italian presidency is focusing on pressing global challenges such as the pandemic climate change and economic recovery Chinese President Xi attended via video link and delivered a speech. Wang Haiyang has more.
19: It was a call to the G20 to shoulder its due responsibilities in face of changes and a pandemic both unseen in a century. President Xi Jinping said China is ready to work with all parties to enhance vaccine accessibility and affordability in developing countries. He said China has provided over 1.6 billion doses of vaccines for more than 100 countries and international organizations to date. That number will top 2 billion for the whole of 2021. And China is conducting joint vaccine production with 16 countries. China, together with 30 other countries, has also launched an initiative for Belt and Road Partnership on COVID-19 Vaccines Cooperation. She said that the pandemic has brought multiple crises to the world. It has hit developing countries in particular, and the implementation of the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development is facing unprecedented challenges. He said that China welcomes the IMF's decision on the new allocation of special drawing rights Totaling 650 billion U.S. dollars, and stands ready to lend a new allocation to low-income countries that are seriously affected by COVID-19. Xi urged major economies to adopt responsible macroeconomic policies and prevent measures taken for themselves from entailing rising inflation, exchange rate fluctuations, or mounting debts. He reaffirmed China's commitment to opening up and a fair market order. China will stay committed to the fundamental state policy of opening up to unleash the potential of its huge market and enormous domestic demand. We will promote institutional opening up that covers rules, regulations, management and standards and step up protection of intellectual property rights. We will continue to foster a business environment that is based on market principles governed by law and up to international standards, and ensure a fair and equitable market order for both domestic and foreign companies. On climate issues, she said that China will strive to peak its CO2 emissions before 2030 and achieve carbon neutrality before 2060. China will honor its words with actions and work with all countries to pursue a path of green, low carbon, and a sustainable development. The president concluded with a call for joint efforts to dispel the dark clouds of the pandemic at an early date and jointly build a better future for all. Wang CGTN. Voters in Japan are casting ballots
18: for representatives for the lower house. The poll will gauge public satisfaction with the ruling coalition's response to the pandemic and other issues. It comes nearly a month after Prime Minister Fumio Kishida took power. Our correspondent Phoebe Amoroso reports from Tokyo.
20: Well, the voter turnout is projected to be uh, higher than it has been recently, but then in recent elections it has dropped to a post-war low. It's expected that over um, 55% will turn out to vote, and that could mean that the results could be a little bit unexpected. Typically, higher voter turnout uh, signifies that the opposition party may stand a stronger chance. The big question in these elections it's currently going on. Polls are open from 7am to 8pm today, so we won't expect the results until later, but the The key question is whether the LDP, the ruling Liberal Democratic Party, can they keep the majority? The LDP, before it dissolved Parliament, had 276 seats, but it's only set itself a target of 233 seats. And indeed, uh, many newspapers are projecting projecting that it could lose around 36 seats. Now, with its help of its coalition partner, KOMETO, it is expected it can still maintain what's called a stable majority and still be able to pass uh, legislation smoothly. However, it could spell trouble for Prime Minister Kishida, not really showing strong support or strong faith among the public in his leadership. However, as I mentioned, the voter turnout might be higher. This could lead to an uncertain result with uh, more votes coming in for the opposition. And also, the opposition have unified uh, in the voting districts, so that could stand them into a stronger chance. Really, if the LDP lose seats, it does spell a period of political instability coming up.
18: The Associated Press reports Yemen security forces say at least eight people have been killed and 11 others wounded in an explosion in the port city of Aden. Saturday's explosion happened outside Aden's international airport. A number of nearby vehicles and residential homes were destroyed. So far, no one has claimed responsibility, but local security forces blame militants of terror groups. Aden is where the internationally recognized Saudi-backed Yemeni government-based itself and it has been rocked by several explosions in the past years. Blame has fallen on local affiliates of Al Qaeda and the Islamic State groups. The Iranian-backed Houthi rebels have also targeted the city with ballistic missiles and explosive-laden drones. The 26th United Nations Conference of the Parties on Climate Change is set to open today in Glasgow, Scotland. The gathering is widely expected to be a crucial opportunity for reaching new concerns. Recent years has raised concerns about COP26's chances of success and sparked warnings that the conference may end in empty talks. Andrew Wilson reports.
21: The world's top negotiators, activists and journalists are about to descend on this Scottish city to thrash out once again the climate dilemma that almost all know to be real, but hardly any seem able to navigate. All the accepted science points in the same direction, but what was celebrated in Paris six years ago as an intention must now be turned into an agreed plan of action. with economies reeling from the persistent pandemic and a growing energy crisis there is little appetite for bold action the warnings and the meetings and the reluctance to act have been consistent for decades
18: we live in dangerous times and i think it worth listening carefully to all those intelligent observers
21: of the natural environment who are increasingly speaking with one agitated voice i'm not going to go to the rio conference and make a bad deal, or be a party to a bad deal. I'm not going to sign an agreement that does not protect the environment and the economy of this country. Turbulence hitting the world's climate is no longer a matter of dispute. And crisis weather events that used to be confined to the tropics have become more common in the developed world, particularly America and Europe. Even then, the politics of agreement has stumbled. In order to fulfill my
22: solemn duty to protect america and its citizens the united states will withdraw from the
21: paris climate accord even with the u.s. back on board the aspirations of hundred billion dollars to help developing countries and binding targets for net zero emissions are proving worryingly elusive and with energy demands still increasing Coal mines across the world that should have been closed remain open.
3: Uh, I think we are facing a real challenge. And in the meantime, also, you know, global, this global geopolitical tension going on. And, uh, and then uh, all this trust, you know, uh, that is uh, very, very uh, important for, to reach global solidarity. I think that's kind of a, uh, lacking.
22: The real cost, that no one is willing to pay is the cost of inaction. The IPCC report of 2018, the IEA report of this summer, the Financial Stability Board Assessment of Risk, and the Marketplace Opportunities for Profit are all coming together to drive change and to drive a different approach. But let's be clear, despite all the momentum that is heading into Glasgow, we still face
21: a gap. For many national governments, it's just too risky to step up. The threat of economic turbulence, the inequalities in the global financial system, the growth priorities for developing nations all conspire to create geopolitics of hesitation. The political statements are cheap. The world scientists behind the scenes are in agreement. But for societies built on centuries of carbon energy, it's still a bitter pill. Andrew Wilson, CGTN.
18: Well, that's it for this edition of The World Today. I'll be back shortly with more news from the continent in Africa Live. Thanks for watching.
21: It's new but it's different. It's a challenge. (gasps) It's
2: really exciting.
18: China Global Television Network. Calls for restraint in Sudan amid protest against the military takeover... Africa lags behind coronavirus vaccination target, and All Eyes on Glasgow, which is hosting the UN's climate change conference. Hello welcome to Africa Live, as always. Great to have you with us. I'm Richard Todd live in Nairobi, and for those of you joining us from across the continent and around the globe, we thank you for joining us. Let's take a look at other stories, making headlines this hour. The World Trade Organization tackling coronavirus vaccine supply shortage by reducing restriction exports. And in sports, we'll tell you about the para-surfer champion going against the odds in South Africa. Once again, welcome to Africa Live. Great to have you along with us for this hour. Let's begin in Sudan, where the police in the country have denied using live ammunition during Saturday's mass protests. A doctor's union said security forces shot dead three people during protests that took place almost a week after the military seized control. Tens of thousands took to the streets in various cities across Sudan, including in the capital Khartoum in the so-called March of Millions. Pro-democracy groups called for protests to demand the reinstating of the transitional government and the release of senior political figures from detention. And in Ethiopia, the federal government says it is still in control of the strategic town of Desi in the Amhara region. The large town is around 300 kilometers from the capital Addis Ababa. Rebellious Tigray forces had earlier claimed that they had seized the town where thousands of ethnic Amharas have sought refuge. Fighting has escalated between Ethiopian government forces and the Tigray People's Liberation Front. Much of northern Ethiopia is under a communications blackout. And access for journalists is restricted, making battlefield claims difficult to corroborate. And in Uganda, a bomb blast in a village has killed at least two children. The Friday explosion took place in Nakaseke District, which is 60 kilometers north of the capital, Kampala. A senior police officer there said on social media that the device was given to the kids disguised as a jackfruit toy. The bomb killed a 14-year-old and a child living with disability. No one has claimed immediate responsibility for the attack. This incident becomes the third attack in the East African country in a week. Earlier, a bomb exploded at a restaurant in Kampala, killing one person and injuring three others. ISIL claimed responsibility for that attack. Police also confirmed a suicide bomb attack on a bus, which killed the suspected attacker and injured several passengers. Well, let's bring in Mohamed Dakar, Regional Coordinator for Eastern Africa at Institute for Security Studies. He joins us via Zoom from Nairobi. Uh, Welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us here on Africa Live. Now, this incident is not an isolated case as people in Uganda keep finding unexploded devices lying around in areas where the Bush War took place uh, years ago. Why does this remain an ongoing problem is the question.
13: Thank you very much for having me in the studio today. You know, with the end of the Bush War, which lasted for about uh, six years uh, and ended in the 1986. Uganda continued to face serious decades long terrorist prog- uh, problem from two terrorist uh, groups that operate in the region. One is the Al-Qaeda linked Al-Shabaab uh, group and second is the Islamic State uh, linked allied democratic uh, forces uh, group. Uh, that is actively uh, operating in the eastern part of Democratic Republic of Congo and also Uganda. Authoritatively, the ADF, that is the Allied Democratic Forces, is the biggest group, uh, terror group, that Uganda continues uh, to confront. And uh, this really detects from its formation years in the late 1980s, uh, where it was uh, against the presidency of uh, Kabuta Museveni. Uh, leadership uh, and party the national resistance movement that took power in the thousand nine hundred and eighty six and with a battalion force of, uh, of over one thousand five hundred uh, uh, troops uh, the allied democratic force uh, has two unique attributes one it is both uh, a terrorist group and also a transnational organized uh, crime group uh, operating in the eastern democratic republic of congo uh, gold mining fields and mining the timber trade uh, racketeering extortion uh, kidnapping uh, and second actually its head is in Uganda uh, because of the terror financing uh, that it receives from legal uh, trade that are active in Uganda uh, real estate and the petroleum uh, uh, industry this week alone uh, the police arrested three suspects uh, who
18: hail uh, from Uganda uh, Uh, we apologize for that breaking communication. We appear to have lost Mohammed Dakar. Hopefully we'll get him a little later before the end of the bulletin. Let's move on down to other developing stories uh, in Sudan, in Uganda rather. Our top story where police rather in Sudan have denied using live ammunition during a Saturday's mass protest. On Saturday, tens of thousands took to the streets in various uh, cities across Sudan, including in the capital Khartoum in the so-called March of Millions for the latest Naba Muaddin joins us live from Khartoum. Naba, welcome to Afterlife. Thank you for joining us. Naba, can you hear us? Naba, Sudan's military has given the British envoy Jill Lever a deadline to leave the country after the after he announced support for the protests. Can you give us more details on that, Naba? Uh
15: yes, uh some, some news uh, saying and now it's confirmed that the British ambassador in Khartoum was given 21 days deadline uh, to leave Sudan after he announced his solidarity with the pro-democracy protesters and also he called on the military generals to adhere to the power sharing agreement signed in 2019 and he condemned the military takeover and he named it with a takeover. And he expressed the United Kingdom solidarity with the uh, protesters and condemning of the takeover. He also called on the military generals to go uh, back on talks with the civilian leaders and to release the political um, political activists and uh, political um, members of political parties members that they were uh, uh, they were. They were detained in the day of the coup. Uh, he also put the responsibility of any excessive violence against the protesters on the security forces, and he also put the responsibility of the torture. There is some news that the political detained, uh, the, 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 the political members uh, uh, and activists, they are tortured in the detention. So he put the responsibility on the security forces. After he published this video, uh, just two days after that, he, he has um, received a warning and a deadline to leave the country in 21 days.
18: All right, Nava, it's a day after some of the biggest protests Sudan has seen in years. What's the mood like really over there?
15: The bridges are opened now and the main streets are opened and the, the downtown and the center of Khartoum is opened. But people are still fearing um, a sense of insecurity or any riots uh, because the protesters escalated uh, escalate after the after the big protests. Uh, the protesters escalated the situation right now by blocking the streets again by barricades uh, announcing escalatory steps including night marches and including public strikes so now the shops are still closed, the gas stations, the banks, hospitals, life, we can say life in Khartoum is paralyzed right now. Um, There is also uh, growing calls among professional bodies to go in a comprehensive civil disobedience uh, including Central Bank of uh, Sudan is still closed and um, the main institutions and governmental bodies are still uh, closed for, for a week after the military takeover.
18: All right, Naba, you spoke of a sense of insecurity. Now, is there any sense that a return to a transitional government is in the works? From your perspective, how do you see it?
15: Actually, the situation is still unclear uh, because the political parties and political activists and protest blocs are refusing any talks with the military generals. All they want is the punishment for, for the excessive use of violence, uh, the punishment of all of the crimes since the 2019 military coup. They also say they don't want any compromises or any talks with the generals. They just want the, the power to be handed over to civilians. In the same time, there is internal efforts and external efforts like, uh, by international community to put them, uh, the civilians and generals back on tables again. But there is a silence. Officially, there is a silence. The prime minister is still, is still absent from the political scene. Only the political parties that the military took over the power from them, they are refusing any... Talks with the generals. So maybe the pressure of the international community, uh, especially U.S. and EU and other other countries uh, and international books, maybe the pressure will put the the military and civilians on tables again. We we might see a new talks and negotiations, like just like what happened in 2019 after the ouster of Al Bashir. But the only challenge right now is the protesters. They don't want any power-sharing agreement with the generals because they said they can't guarantee the generals to take over the power again. So all they want right now is to exclude the military generals from the the political scene. And also they think the parties uh, have contributed to to the sense of of the turmoil. Uh, So right now the protesters want technocratic government headed by the Prime Minister Abdullah Hamdog and the military to be in the positions of defense and interior ministries.
18: All right. Nabu Muhaddin, thank you so much for staying on top of that story for us. Nabu Muhaddin, much appreciated. Uh, Time now for a short break. You're watching Africa Live. Here's what's ahead. All eyes on Glasgow, which is hosting the UN Climate Change Conference.
2: (laughs) Yeah, give me
18: Welcome back to Africa Life. Thanks for staying with us. Authorities at Uganda's Entebbe International Airport have pushed back against claims that passengers entering the country are experiencing hours-long delays over COVID-19 tests. Uganda imposed mandatory coronavirus testing for all arriving passengers. Each traveler is required to pay $30 for a test. Leon Tienge has more.
23: The mandatory COVID-19 testing for all incoming travelers started last week. However, some arriving passengers say they had to wait for hours or longer for their test results. Five PCR test machines with the capacity to test 300 samples per hour have been installed at the airport. Results are supposed to be back in two hours. The airport authorities, however, say recent social media posts over the delays are over-exaggerating the problem. We had a
13: few passengers who had not filled in information. Online prior to coming to the airport, which caused the delay. There were also a few others who had challenges with payment, who did not want to pay. They had issues over payment, and all that created a little bit of scuffle, among other teasing challenges.
23: At the height of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, Uganda closed its own international airport for close to six months. It was later reopened in October last year and the airport has been getting steadily busier with a daily average of 1,900 passengers. Leon Sanyange, CGTN, Kampala, Uganda.
18: Most African countries will not hit the year-end target of fully vaccinating 40% of their people unless efforts to accelerate the pace of inoculations succeed. The World Health Organization says only five countries are projected to achieve this mark, with the continent struggling to meet rising demand for essential vaccination commodities like syringes. CGTN's Inoxicolia reports.
24: According to WHO Africa, only three countries have fully vaccinated over 40% of their population It means only Seychelles, Mauritius and Morocco have met the goal set in May by the World Health Assembly, the world's highest health policy setting body. The UN agency says that at the current pace, just two more countries, Tunisia and Cape Verde, will also hit the target. Indeed, the continent is struggling. Only 77 million people have been fully vaccinated, which is just 6% of the continent's population. In comparison, over 70% of the high-income countries have already vaccinated more than 40% of their people. But why are many African countries struggling? WHO points to several issues. The organization says countries still need to improve their readiness for COVID-19 vaccine rollout. It says 42% of countries in Africa have not yet completed district-level plans for their campaigns, while nearly 40% have not yet undertaken inter-action reviews, which are key to refining and improving their vaccination campaigns. But lack of access to vaccines is still a major problem. At the current pace, Africa still faces a 275 million shortfall of COVID-19 vaccines against the year-end target of fully vaccinating 40% of its people. WHO Africa says the COVAX facility is working to address this threat by securing deals with syringe manufacturers and through better planning to avoid deliveries outpacing the supply of syringes nearly 8.5 million COVID-19 cases, and more than 217,000 deaths have been recorded in Africa and CGTN, Nairobi, Kenya.
18: The 26th United Nations Conference of the Parties on Climate Change is opening today in Glasgow, Scotland. The gathering is widely expected to be a crucial opportunity for reaching new consensus on further curbing carbon emissions. The stalled progress during recent years has raised concerns about COP26's chances of success and sparked warnings that the conference may end in empty talks. Andrew Wilson reports.
21: The world's top negotiators, activists and journalists are about to descend on this Scottish city to thrash out once again the climate dilemma that almost all know to be real but hardly any seem able to navigate. All the accepted science points in the same direction, but what was celebrated in Paris six years ago as an intention must now be turned into an agreed plan of action. But with economies reeling from the persistent pandemic and a growing energy crisis, there is little appetite for bold action. The warnings and the meetings and the reluctance to act have been consistent for decades.
18: We live in dangerous times, and I think it's worth listening carefully to All those
21: intelligent observers of the natural environment who are increasingly speaking with one agitated voice. I'm not going to go to the Rio conference and make a bad deal or be a party to a bad deal. I'm not going to sign an agreement that does not protect the environment and the economy of this country. Turbulence hitting the world's climate is no longer a matter of dispute. And crisis weather events that used to be confined to the tropics have become more common in the developed world, particularly America and Europe. Even then, the politics of agreement has stumbled. In order to fulfill
22: my solemn duty to protect America and its citizens, the United States will withdraw
21: from the Paris... Climate Accord. Even with the U.S. back on board, the aspirations of $100 billion to help developing countries and binding targets for net zero emissions are proving worryingly elusive. And with energy demands still increasing, coal mines across the world that should have been closed remain open. Uh, I think
3: we are facing a real challenge. And in the meantime, also, you know, global, this global geopolitical tension going on. And, uh, and then uh, all this trust, you know, th- that is uh, very, very uh, important for, to reach global solidarity. I think that's kind of a, uh, lacking.
22: The real cost that no one is willing to pay is the cost of inaction. The IPCC report of 2018, the IEA report of this summer, the Financial Stability Board Assessment of Risk, and the marketplace opportunities for profit are all coming together to drive change and to drive a different approach. But let's be clear, despite all the momentum that is heading into Glasgow, we still face a gap.
21: For many national governments, it's just too risky to step up. The threat of economic turbulence, the inequalities in the global financial system The growth priorities for developing nations all conspire to create geopolitics of hesitation. The political statements are cheap. The world scientists behind the scenes are in agreement. But for societies built on centuries of carbon energy, it's still a bitter pill. Andrew Wilson, CGTN
18: to south africa now where the city of cape town has begun to prepare itself for the adverse climatic conditions that climate change is expected to bring in the future the city has implemented policy changes as well as built infrastructure to deal with challenges such as rising sea levels some people however believe climate change is already beginning to take hold on their lives and livelihoods cgt's travis andrews has more
6: As the city located on the southern tip of africa Cape Town is often exposed to the stormy Atlantic Ocean, and this is usually the result. A broken road lies as evidence of storm surges that are increasing in frequency, and this phenomenon is only set to get worse as climate change takes hold. The city of Cape Town, though, has begun adapting to this change by implementing new policies that govern coastal development, and has also invested in protective infrastructure.
21: We've got a a range of adaptation interventions that have been completed as well as others that are in progress. These interventions span across uh, socio-institutional interventions as well as um, the more traditional hard engineering approaches which which might include seawalls and revetments, etc.
6: Those interventions also include the restoration of coastal ecosystems, which play a key role in mitigating the impact of climate change-induced coastal pressures. However, researchers have found the mean rising sea level for Cape Town is two millimetres per year on average, which is increasing extreme tidal activity that has begun to affect some people. For many local fishermen, rising sea levels brought along by climate change presents a real danger that threatens access to key fish stocks that is a key source of income for many coastal communities.
23: I'm very concerned about the sea level that is rising because we as small-scale fishermen we catch from the sea shore like you see here now. We throw in our nets waiting for the fish to come to the shore for us so we can catch it but for the recent few years we don't see that, things are changing fish don't come or they come late
12: If we catch fish it's, it's, it's very uh, small or it's very uh, few and and the species we are we are getting is, is not is not uh, the, the the ones we are we we always we, 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 we used we use to get. So so that, that makes our outdoor very difficult. And the empty nets are further proof
6: that some communities believe they've already been adversely affected by climate change and rising sea levels. That was Andrew, CGTN Cape Town.
18: Time now for our business segment. Here's what's ahead. Don't go away. The World Trade Organization is tackling the coronavirus vaccine supply shortage by reducing restrictions exports. And Libya hosts its first tourist in 10 years since unrest kept visitors away.
21: Africa is the nexus of
4: enterprise.
14: And global business will tell you why it matters.
4: From the mega investment projects to multi-billion dollar mergers and acquisitions. Africa today collects,
13: just in terms of revenues from taxes alone, $545 billion a year. If you take 10% of that and you devote it to the energy sector, problem
2: solved.
20: All this on Global Business, weekdays at this time on CGTN. (laughs)
18: Welcome back. The World Trade Organization is tackling a vaccine supply shortage by attempting to reduce restrictions on the export of vaccines. It's also trying to get manufacturers to decentralize their production. The WTO Director General Ngozi Okonjo-Owella says that there are gaps in the international response to possible future pandemics from a lack of a global network and a slowness to fund solutions, particularly in four countries. COVID-19 economic recovery and climate change are the two main issues being discussed by the leaders of the world's 20 biggest economies who are gathered in Rome before heading to Glasgow, Scotland for the UN climate conference.
8: Putting global governance, bring out the money uh, to help finance this, especially helping poor countries. We are are also saying the poor countries should spend 1% more of their GDP on strengthening their own health systems so they too have to contribute now i think we need the political will to get to have this adopted we don't if we miss this opportunity to prepare for the next pandemic our children will not forgive us because now we know the lessons and and we we need to to learn those lessons so i'm hoping that the leaders will uh, you know see uh, have that political will to adopt some of these recommendations for the next pandemic.
18: Tunisia's new Minister of Tourism and Handicrafts has announced that tourism revenues went up 7% from January 1st to October 20th, 2021, compared to the same period in 2020. Authorities in Tunisia say the Chinese market will be given priority in the North African country because it's one of the most promising sources of markets in the world, and reports.
25: Mohamed Moaz Bilhassan said the number of overnight stays has increased by nearly 19%, while the number of arrivals grew 3% in October. Many countries have removed Tunisia from the red list, following the improvement of the health situation in the North African nation.
14: There are positive indicators on the resumption of tourism activities. The traditional markets are returning to Tunisia. The British, German and Russian markets are very important. They are back after more than 18 months of absence due to travel restrictions. Now all actors in the tourism industry have a clear vision about this sector's future.
25: The minister declared that Tunisia aims to attract more than 100,000 Chinese tourists. The tourism department is training thousands of Tunisian tourism professionals in order to welcome travelers from China.
14: The Chinese market is one of the most promising and strategic markets for Tunisia's tourism industry. We are training local guides and tourism professionals who speak Chinese and know the needs of tourists from China. Chinese travelers visit Tunisia to discover its culture, heritage
25: and civilization. They are always welcome in this country. The tourism recovery has revived the handicraft sector in the country. This sector employs tens of thousands of craftsmen and craftswomen in Tunisia. Tunisian craftsmen
14: have resumed normal activity as more travelers and tourists are visiting the country's inner regions to discover and buy our items. The lockdown paralyzed this
21: sector. Now, we're optimistic.
25: The Tunisian government is working on the revision of the legal framework governing the tourism sector. This project aims to encourage investment dedicated to alternative tourism and to boost regional development in inner regions. Experts assert that the gradual recovery of the tourism activity after the COVID-19 crisis will help in preserving more than 400,000 direct and indirect jobs in Tunisia. Tunisian authorities adopted several economic, social, and fiscal measures during the health crisis to guarantee the sustainability of the tourism industry. Abhin CGTN,
18: Tunis. South Africa is experiencing its worst-ever year for scheduled power cuts. ESCOM, the state power utility, is battling supply constraints due to several breakdowns at its units in Haoteng, Mpumalanga, and the Western Cape. Sumitra Nidru reports.
0: The latest bout of load shedding reached stage four this week after the national grid suffered a shortfall of over 14,000 megawatts. While South Africa has experienced stage four before, this is the highest amount of load shedding hours experienced in a year since the problem began in 2007,
12: as we stand, we are at level four because of uh, the breakdown in a number of units uh, at Eskom's uh, generation plants. But secondly, also uh, because of delays in the return of units that have been the subject of uh, maintenance work that have not come back successfully
0: local government elections are set for the first of november 2021 there's no guarantee that there will be power on the day
7: we have an underlying problem that has been with us you know for many years and it's not going to be solved uh, by quick promises before an election um, it's going to be solved by doing the right thing for a long time so load shedding in the meantime is with us to stay For at least the next several years, not continuously, but intermittently, as and when breakdowns of plant occur.
0: Over 800,000 matriculants began their final examinations this week. For so many in different parts of the country, the lack of electricity added to this already stressful time. But it's almost certain there is no end in sight even with independent power producers coming on board.
7: The all-in cost of renewable energy, including the plant and finance, is cheaper than just the fuel cost of running a coal-fired power station. Coal needs to be decommissioned. It's reached the end of life. It's performing poorly. It's not dispatchable. It's intermittent. It breaks down. It's unpredictable. It's dirty. It's thirsty.
0: An emergency power procurement is underway to secure additional capacity outside of the independent power producers for renewable energy. In the meantime, power constraints are expected to continue impacting South Africa's economic recovery.
12: It is now urgent that all those parties that are responsible for ensuring uh, that we utilize gas or ensure that the right amount of private investment takes place Uh, in producing more megawatts in the country must be speeded up.
0: Eskom has already exceeded its budget annually for diesel as an emergency reserve. The next stage of load shedding may come soon. Sumitra CGTN, Johannesburg, South Africa.
18: Libya has hosted its first group of foreign tourists in a decade with an excursion to an oasis town deep in the desert. This comes as the government revitalizes the tourism sector and changes the public image of the country among international travelers. CGTN's the Caribe with that story.
11: White buildings set amid a sea of palm trees. This is Gadame's oasis, popularly known as the Pearl of the Desert. For French traveler Jean-Paul, he's among the first group of foreign tourists to revisit the oasis following a decade-long war.
14: This will be the second time that we travel to Libya. The last time was over 10 years ago, so now we came with a group. There are six vehicles and 12 people here.
11: Libya had been mostly off limits to tourists throughout the four-decade rule of Muammar Gaddafi. Thanks to an October 2020 ceasefire and a United Nations-led peace process, the first group of tourists was able to visit on a tour paid for by the state.
5: They are
14: breaking the barrier of fear among the many admirers of the Libyan desert And now, thank God, things are going as well as we hoped Thanks to the supporters and the good people as well as the state Which deployed all its resources from the tourism and interior ministries As you can see, the escorts that we have here, there is tight protection The goal of this journey is a very noble one It is to change the idea which European tourists and citizens have of Libya, that it is a failed state and a terror zone. This is the goal, and also to show the world the truth that we, the Libyan people, are decent and peaceful.
11: The UNESCO-listed OISIS city has unique multi-level architecture with whitewashed covered alleyways. The tourists visited the old city as well as the newer part of town where a mosque with striking minarets faces modern villas echoing the styles of the old town.
24: When I knew that there was a group of friends who almost all knew each other and who were ready to go back to Libya with Ali, we said, no question, we will sign up right away and given the kindness and generosity he has shown and given there was no hesitation we will never know how to pay back what he has offered to us
11: khalid dadera who organized the tour says he wants to challenge the idea that libya is a country in decline for travelers like john paul he hopes this is the beginning of adventures in libya penina Karibe, CGTN.
18: And we are not done just yet. We've got your sports news coming up after the break. Here's what's ahead. And in sports, we'll tell you about the para-surfing champion going against the odds in South Africa.
21: How would you create your legend? On the field. On the tracks, in the arenas of Africa. Were you born to be a player? Could this moment be yours? Sports Team, find your game.
11: Africa Live. Find your voice.
1: Welcome back. back. And uh, that was uh, Africa Live. And uh, it dealt with a lot of uh, issues, including the uh, COP26 uh, summit that is uh, going to be taking place uh, starting tomorrow in uh, Glasgow. Scotland. Also, it talked about the uh, G20 summit that was just concluded uh, in Rome, Italy. Uh, It also dealt with the ongoing uh, mass demonstrations and general strike in uh, Sudan against the military coup, uh, which was carried out nearly a week ago, as well as um, other uh, developments on the African continent, including uh, Uganda and uh, other uh, geopolitical regions. And that's going to uh, wind down our Pan-African Journal special worldwide radio broadcast program uh, for today, uh, Sunday, October 31st, 2021. We've been broadcasting live from our studios in uh, downtown Detroit, and uh, we'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, to our program. If you'd like to have access to this program, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network, that's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. Uh, If you log on to uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal, not only can you have access to uh, today's program for Sunday, October 31, 2021, but well over a thousand other archived editions of the Pan-African Journal. You can also read the Pan-African Newswire. Just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And uh, you can stay abreast of uh, some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day. The Pan-African Newswire is a -a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour-a-day international uh, press service. And um, we're going to be closing out. Uh, with the music of Detroit's own Barry Harris. And uh, this is from an album entitled Luminescence. This is uh, Abayomi Azikawe signing off. And have a beautiful week. <music>
2: Right.